0: Uh, please turn to the book of 2 Peter, that's towards the end of the Bible, um, just a few pages before the book of Revelation, which Dan has been going through. So 2 Peter, the second letter that Peter wrote. And uh, we're going to read the first 11 verses, but we're, we're just going to focus on the first two really today, but we'll read the first 11 for a bit of context. So, it says this, Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who through the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ have received a faith as precious as ours. Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But if anyone does not have them, he's short-sighted and blind and has forgotten that he's been cleansed from his past sins. Therefore, my brothers, be all the more eager to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you'll never fail, fall and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Okay, so between now and Christmas, uh, I'm going to be digging into this first section of 2 Peter, and I reckon it's going to take us until Christmas to get through these 11 verses. All right, so we're going to take it at a fairly leisurely pace. Uh, Today, we're going to focus on the first two verses, and uh, we could easily be tempted to just skip over those first two verses, couldn't we? As a bit of a superfluous introduction, you know, Peter just outlining who he is, who the letter's from, and kind of just saying, hi, good to see you. Um, but uh, it's, uh, there's so much in these first two verses uh, already, so let's dig deep into it. A little bit of uh, background information then. This letter is written by Simon Peter. He's one of the disciples who was with Jesus you may remember him from various episodes in uh, in the gospels and he's the hot-headed one he's the one who was always keen to speak out he of all the disciples he was mentioned more than any other in the uh, in the gospels and uh, but he was often putting his foot in it wasn't he he was often saying or doing things uh, that would that just got it wrong and just just hadn't quite grasped it so you'll you'll remember a few of those for example in Matthew 16 um he realizes that Jesus is the Messiah Jesus has been asking people who who do people say I am and people are saying well some people think Elijah some people say John the Baptist Jesus says well who do you think I am and and Simon Peter says you're the Messiah he's got it he's he's grasped it he's got it right Uh, But then very quickly afterwards, Jesus says, yes, and I need to go and I need to go and be handed over to the authorities and I'm going to die on the cross. And Peter's going, no, 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 you can't do that. You can't do that. That's not what the Messiah is about. Jesus says to him, get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Talk about cutting someone down to size. You know, Peter's probably thinking, I've got it right. I've spotted who he is, you know. It's sort of, you know, to the other disciples, oh, I've got it. And then, second later, Jesus is saying, get behind me, Satan. You don't even have in mind the things of God. And when Jesus is arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane, Peter's the one who draws his sword. He's ready to defend him. You know, if they're not going to arrest the king, the Messiah. He draws his sword. He chops off the ear of the servant of the high priest. And again... Jesus rebukes him, put your sword away. That's not what we're doing. That's not what it's about. He was one of the disciples who had argued on the road about who was the greatest among them. And in fact, he claimed that when Jesus said, look, one of you is going to betray me tonight. Uh, one of you is going to deny me. One of you is going to betray me. Jesus, uh, Peter said, well, I, I'm, I'm never going to deny you if everyone falls away. I'll be where with, there with you. I'll stand with you to the end. Simon said, Peter, Jesus said, Peter, Peter, you don't understand. Even tonight, even tonight, you're going to deny me three times. No, I'll never do that. I'll never do that. But yes, he did. The cock crowed three times. And, th- and by that point, three times Jesus had been denied. Peter had said, I never knew him. Never known the guy before. He was quick to speak often slow to learn. So this is the same Peter. This is the same man who is writing this letter. And he's had a complete transformation. A complete transformation by this point. We see the first thing that he describes himself as. Simon Peter, a servant, an apostle of Jesus Christ. A servant as well as an apostle. You know, Peter now, he's got the opportunity to lord it over others. He's got the opportunity to say, do you know what? It's been proved I am one of the greatest. I am one of the greatest of Jesus' followers. He was the one who had stood up on the day of Pentecost. You remember the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came upon the, the disciples when they were hidden away in the room and they started speaking in different languages and many people came and said, well, what's going on here? What's happening? Peter was the one, because he was the bold one. He stood up. This is what's happening. He preaches the gospel. He preaches the news about Jesus. He preaches about the death and the resurrection of Jesus. He preaches the need to repent and turn and follow him. And 3,000 people repent on that day. It's the start of the church, the start of the new church. He was there. He was the one preaching. What a privilege what a privilege to be the one who is preaching. He could have said, Do you know what, I've made it now. I've made it. He was involved in the, in the leadership of the church, that early church, a central figure in all that was going on. But Peter had learnt what Jesus showed him and the other disciples just before he died. In John 13, we read about how Jesus gets down. And they're just about to eat and Jesus gets down and he kneels before them. He takes a bowl and he takes a towel and he starts to wash his disciples' feet. A job that was just, for the lowest of the servants, horrendous, mucky, gnarled feet of his disciples in the dust who, that had got horrible in the dusty conditions of, uh, of the country at the time. And Jesus is bowing down and he's doing that job. And Jesus says in verse, uh, Peter says in verse six, he says, he came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you don't realize now what I'm doing, but later you'll understand. No, said Peter, you should never wash my feet again. He doesn't get it. He doesn't get it. Jesus is saying, you'll understand later. He does. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you've got no part with me. Then Lord Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, a person who's only had a bath only needs to wash his feet. His whole body is clean. And you are clean, though not every one of you. Verse 12, when he'd finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that's what I am. Now that I, your teacher and Lord, have washed your feet... You also should wash one another's feet. I've set you as an example that you should do as I've done for you. I tell you the truth. No servant is greater than his master. No messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Jesus demonstrated what it means to be a leader. He was Lord and master. And he said, and it's right that you call me that. But you know what? What it's all about is ser- me serving you. He was going to serve and die. He was going to humble himself and give up his life in service for his friends and for us. And he said, Peter, you don't understand what I'm doing now, but soon you will. You'll understand and you will do the same. And Peter here is the first thing he describes himself as. It's the first thing he sees. I'm a servant. He wasn't the big shot. He wasn't writing this letter to throw his weight around, to call the shots. He had some strong things to say later on in the letter. Things that actually we probably won't even get to before before Christmas. But there's things in, in chapters 2 and, and 3. Strong words that Peter's going to speak. But he wanted to make it clear that first and foremost, he was a servant of Jesus. And yes, an apostle too. One of those who was with Jesus. One of those who'd been sent by him. It, it wasn't a case of Jesus, of Peter just exercising false modesty. Uh, shrinking back from what he knew God had called him to. You know, he's not saying, oh, no, no. I'm just a servant. I, I wouldn't dare to teach you. I wouldn't dare to tell you what to do. Oh, no, no, no. I'm nothing before you. You know, I was the one who denied Jesus. I, I, I'm nothing. Sometimes we can... We can hear Christians talking like that, as though they've got nothing to offer, as though they've got nothing to give. God has called us. God has called us, yes, to serve him. Yes, to serve others. But also to encourage each other, to strengthen each other. Sometimes that involves speaking words to each other that are difficult for others to hear. To lead boldly where we've been given the gift of leadership. It's not about. Oh, no, no, I wouldn't dare to do that. But it's about leading well and serving well and humbling ourselves. As Jesus humbled himself to the point of death to love and service, so Peter too would humble himself. He would die. He would be led to death too for serving Christ. Those of us who would call ourselves leaders in any way, we need to get hold of this very first thing, not skip over it. Learn the lesson that Peter learned. We can start out and think, oh, we're the greatest evangelist since Billy Graham. You know, we're the wisest counselor that there is. But until we've realized that we are servants of Christ Jesus, we won't be effective in what God has called us to. We're looking for strong leaders here in the church. We're looking for leaders who are, who are going to take hold of what God has said to them. Take hold of the gospel. Lead in the church. Lead within the world. Advance God's kingdom. The kingdom of God into the world. Jesus said, forceful men take hold of it. We don't want shrinking violets taking hold of it. But we want people who are going to understand who they are in God as servants our servant status. So that's who Simon Peter says he is, a servant and apostle of Christ Jesus. Who is he writing to? He's writing to those who through the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ have received a faith as precious as ours. Received a faith as precious as the one that he has received and that includes us. And that's what we're going to really look at today. We're going to get into the meat of our text today, really. Or uh, if we're a vegetarian, the, the salad of it. Um, <laughs> I prefer the meat. <laughs> we're, going to, we're going to get into the main bit of the text today. And that's this uh, And that's this verse. This, uh, we've received <laughs> through the right Through the righteousness of God and Jesus Christ, we have received a faith as precious as Peter's. What is this faith that we have? What is the faith that we have received? And why is it so precious? In fact, is it precious to us? And if it is precious, why? Well, we're going to look at four things. Four things that make something precious. Precious. And they can help us to understand how our faith that we have received is precious. What makes something precious? First of all, something is precious because of the person who has given it to us. We all experience this, don't we? Um, In in our life, we can get something off off someone who we love very dearly. Maybe it's our husband or, or wife. Maybe it's our kids. It doesn't have to be something that is very expensive. It doesn't have to be something that's worth a lot in monetary value to make it precious. And we call it, obviously, we call it sentimental value. Sentimental value. You'll have heard stories, won't you, of where people have, have, have got have got robbed or, uh, and, and burglars have come into their house and they've taken a load of stuff. They've taken the TV and they've taken the, 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 the iPad and they've taken uh, the, you know, whatever else it might be, the stereo system but, but you can hear sometimes people saying, do you know what? I don't care about those things. We can replace all of those things. But actually, what was taken was my wallet. And in that wallet, in that wallet was some precious thing that was given to me by my mother, who has since passed away. And, you know, I, I, appeals can sometimes go out. You know, please, whatever happens, please return this picture. Please return this, this thing that, that is very small, very insignificant, won't mean anything to you. But it's very precious to me. It's precious because of the person who has given it to us. You know, I've got pictures that, that my kids have drawn. They're just pictures. They're not, they're not Picasso or, or Monet. If I took them to a, an auction house, they wouldn't raise any money. But they're precious. They're precious to me. Who has given us this faith? Who has given us this faith that is precious? God. This faith has come from God. We have received something from the almighty God. He's not just some distant creator God. He's not just someone who one day created everything and then sat back and said, now get on with your life. He's not someone who's got no part in our life at all. He's drawn close to us. He comes to us with intimacy. He knows us. The Bible says he knows the very hairs on our head. He says, you know, he cares for the sparrows. How much more will he care for you? This is the almighty God for whom nothing is impossible. And he has given us this gift of faith to believe in him, to love him, to serve him. It's a precious faith, because it's a faith that comes from Almighty God. Secondly, what makes our faith precious? Well, the way that we receive it. The way that we receive our faith. Here, Peter's saying, we've received it through the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. We've received it through Jesus' righteousness, through Jesus' Goodness through Jesus' perfection. He never sinned. He never did anything wrong. Everything he did, all the motives that he had in doing things too, they were good. They were perfect. He was perfectly obedient. He went to the cross. His father said, I want you to die. For the sins of the world. And for and for the love of God. And for the love of us. And in obedience to God. He said. Do you know what? I'm, I'm dreading this. It's going to be horrendous. He knew. The wrath of God was going to be poured out on him. For our sins. Not just the pain of the nails. Not just. The agony of crucifixion. But separation from his father. Having the father's. Anger against sin, which should have been poured out on us, poured out on him. Yet he still went. He still said, not my will, but yours. We've received it through his sacrifice. It's, it's nothing that we could have done to receive it ourselves. We couldn't earn God's favor. There was nothing to, that we could do to earn favor with God. To bring us this faith, to bring us this relationship with God. Brothers and sisters, we bring nothing to the table at all. We have nothing to contribute in this. Oh God, if you give this, then I'll give this and we'll work together as a partnership. God graciously draws us into partnership with him. But not because he's saying, do you know what? Actually, what, what I'm lacking, you've got. So I'll, I'll team together with you. He doesn't lack anything. He's never lacked anything. His perfection. Oh, well, he wanted to be in relationship with us. Well, yes, he does. But he didn't need it. He doesn't need our company. He was in perfect union with the Trinity. Father, Son, Spirit, in perfect relationship, loving each other. But yet he welcomes us in. We receive it through Jesus' Righteousness. We don't earn a better place closer to Jesus. You know, what the disciples were arguing about was ridiculous. Oh, who's going to be the one who sits at the right and left hand side of Jesus? You know, James and John were, they even got their mum to come and, and, and ask for that. Oh, will you let my lads sit next to you in heaven? Jesus is saying, yeah, it's nothing to do with me. That's the father's decision. You know, this place is prepared. But in, in reality, that's, that's not relevant. It's not relevant. It doesn't matter how close we are. It doesn't matter whether we're an elder of a church. It doesn't matter whether we're a prophet. It doesn't matter whether we give more money to others. It doesn't matter whether we have a better grasp of scripture. None of that counts. In God drawing us close to him. It's all through what Jesus has done. None of these make the slightest difference to the faith that we have received. We've not earned it. We've not earned it. We've received it through the righteousness of Jesus. And Jesus gave everything he had. He gave everything he had. In Philippians, we see Richard Owen... Picked up on this a bit the other week. It says, Jesus, who being in very nature God, didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped. In other words, taken advantage of. He wasn't going to take advantage of that he was equal in status with God. He was God. But no, he made himself nothing. He gave it all up. He made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant. Being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself. And he became obedient to death. Even death on a cross. Christ gave everything he had. And that makes our faith precious. I, I, I've, I've once been in a position where there was that kind of thing happening. I went to Bolivia a number of years ago with my with my previous work i went to bolivia and uh, i met some people and they had nothing they had nothing they they had no electricity in their community they had no running water in their community they had very little food they used to just eat tiny potatoes that's all they had no meat just tiny potatoes all day all the time remote community and we went and visited and they were, they were having some music festival. And they, 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 they they'd got this area that they'd set up, or almost a stage area. And all the village were out. And they saw that we'd arrived. And, and they said, oh, oh, you're from England. You're, you're our guests. And they put some chairs out on the stage. And they got us to sit on the stage and the musicians got off the stage and they faced us they stood with the rest of the crowd and they faced us upon the stage and they played their music to us no one else could see them they could hear them but we were being played to we were the, we were treated as almost as royalty then at the end each set of musicians that played there was a number of different bands they would come and walk upon the stage and they would take off some item of clothing a hat a scarf a cardigan that they owned and they would give it to us. And then they would walk off the stage. And uh this is one of the things that that they gave to me. There were six of us. I've got a number of things. Scarves, cardigans. This beautiful uh a tapestry, I guess, is what it is. Just of the Bolivian farmers and their life and where they live. It's just a bit of material. But it's precious. It's precious because... Of who gave it me, and they were giving out of what they didn't have, really. They were pretty much giving everything that they had. Jesus Christ gave everything he had. Thirdly, why is faith precious? It's precious because of who else has it. Who else has these things? Have you ever wished that you were around at the time of Jesus? Have you ever wished that you were around with those disciples? That you walked with Jesus through Galilee and in Israel and into Jerusalem? Have you ever wished that you saw those miracles? Wouldn't it have been great seeing those miracles? Just imagine what Peter saw and did. He heard Jesus preach and teach face to face. He saw healings. He saw people delivered from demons and oppression and bondage. He saw water turn into wine at parties. He saw 5,000 people and then 4,000 people being fed out of very little. He walked on water himself along with Jesus. He was taken up to the mount mountain and saw the transfiguration where Elijah and, and Moses came down and met with Jesus. What an awesome experience. He even refers to it later in this, in this book, in this letter that he wrote. He was one of the first witnesses of the resurrection. He saw the resurrected Lord Jesus. Wow. What would that have been like? What a privilege. Yet Peter says here to his readers and to us. He's writing to us who have received a faith as precious as ours. We have received a faith which is just as precious as what he received. What God called him to and the privilege of that actually ours is just as precious. What God has given us is just as special. He was writing to Gentiles many people saw the gentiles as second class christians because after all jesus was the jewish messiah and the jews were god's chosen people and again G- peter didn't quite grasp this entirely at first but now he's got it jews and gentiles were now equal in god's eyes they were they were just inheriting just as much and that includes us too look at hebrews 11 just before 2 peter hebrews Chapter 11. We've got a list there of the heroes of the faith. We're not going to read it all, but these are the people listed. Heroes. People of faith. Abel. Enoch. Noah. Abraham. Sarah. Isaac. Jacob. Joseph. Moses. Rahab. Gideon. Barak. Samson. Jephthah. David. Samuel. And the prophets. And others who the writer doesn't have time to tell us about. And he ends the chapter by saying, these were all commended for their faith. Yet none of them received what had promised." been promised. God had planned something better for us. So that only together with us would they be made perfect. You could think, wow, these great people in the Bible, amazing. And, and the writer's saying, do you know what? we've got something better than they had. Our faith that we have received this precious faith from Christ is better than the faith that all of those people had. It's better than the faith of Moses. It's better than the faith of Joshua. It's better than the faith of Abraham. It's better because it's more full, because Jesus now has died. The full, more of the fullness of what, God had for us has come about. And so we can enter in to God's presence in a way that those people never could. We can enter into the courts of the king in a way that, that those people, they couldn't. They were only seeing a, a glimpse of it, a foreshadowing of it. We can enter in. And, and Peter's saying, and it's as precious as what we've had. It's as precious as those of us who've been eyewitnesses. It's as precious as those who've been on that mountain with Jesus at the transfiguration. That makes our faith precious indeed. And finally, what benefits? What benefits does it have? Why? What what makes something precious can be what benefits we have. So we've been at North uh, the last... Last weekend, and, uh, there's a number of people there. I was chatting to someone, and he had one of these, uh, you know, these, these, badges on, uh, kind of around his, around his neck, and it said, access all areas. And I was saying to him, oh, I said, oh, it's great, you know, you kind of always wanted one of those badges that say, access all areas, you know, it's, it'd be fantastic, wouldn't it? Then I kind of caught myself short and I thought, we're at North. Uh, you know, it's like access all. Well, where can you go? <laughs> We're on a field, in a farm. There's a barn. And that's it. <laughs> Woo! <Woo-hoo! laughs> access all areas. Um, <laughs> it's kind of. It, it wasn't exactly the, the Queen's uh, the Queen's Jubilee concert, was it? You know, you keep, access all areas in that. Now that would have been pretty good, you know, getting backstage, meeting all the people, Paul McCartney, Elton John, JLS, Jesse J, Will I Am and Cliff, and uh, <laughs> uh, you could see any of them. Access all areas. We have access all areas into the courts of the king. We have got access. You know, there used to be the temple. There was a dividing wall in the temple where Gentiles could only go so far. They couldn't go any further. Jews could go further. But even then, there was the Holy of Holies. Into the Holy of Holies could only go the high priest. He was the only one allowed in there once a year. There wasn't access all areas. There wasn't access all areas into the presence of God. And now the the curtain has been torn in two. That's what it means. The way's been opened. This this dividing wall, this thing that says, no, you can't go in here. This is only for the privileged and the holy and the righteous. No, we've been made righteous. We've been clothed in Christ's righteousness. And now we can go. Not nervously. Not, oh, are we going to get struck down? But we've got confidence to go in. We can approach God. We're welcomed in to the courts of the King. Wow. What a privilege. We can come to God in worship and He'll hear us and He'll meet with us. We can pray. We can offer our requests. You know, Esther, Esther was nervous in bringing her requests to the King. Because of such power that he had. She didn't know if she would be allowed. We can come with confidence. We can come with confidence into the courts of the king. We have access all areas. And Peter goes on in verse 2 to pray for his readers. And, and he prays that they'll experience grace and peace in abundance. Through the knowledge of God and Jesus our savior. That's what he's praying for. That's what we receive from God. That's one of the benefits. Of course, grace is something that Peter's readers and many of us will have received when we came to know Christ. Grace is receiving something that we don't deserve. And we didn't deserve what we've received from God. Peter didn't deserve what he'd received from God. Because he was ashamed of Jesus. He denied knowing Jesus. Despite his bold words, he denied even knowing him. He didn't deserve a relationship with god paul apostle paul admits the same thing in first corinthians 15 first corinthians 15 and verse 9 he says for i am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because i persecuted the church of god but by the grace of god i am what i am And his grace to me wasn't without effect. He's saying, I don't deserve this. It's the grace of God. I didn't even deserve to know Jesus. I persecuted. I killed Christians. And now he calls me to be an apostle, to be one who goes out and proclaims the message of Christ. I don't deserve that. But it's the grace of God that I am who I am now. We don't deserve the relationship with God that we have either. In Romans chapter 5 and verse 6, it says, you see, at the right time, while we were powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. That's us. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates His own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. What grace! What grace! Christ died for us while we were still sinners. He died for the ungodly. He didn't die for the good guys. He died for the bad guys. That's us. Amazing grace. Amazing grace that saved a wretch like me. And through Christ's death, sacrificial death, we've received this grace and we've received peace with God. In the passage in Ephesians 2, where uh, Paul is talking about this dividing wall and the temple and everything, he says, in verse 14, He is our peace. He Himself is our peace, who made the two one and destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. Jesus is our peace. He made us to be peace, He made peace between us and God. He made peace between us and others. We gather here as a church full of different backgrounds, different sorts of people where there'd often be enemies. You know, certainly Jew and Gentile. Enmity between them. That's the word I was looking for. Um, But he made peace. He made peace. He is our peace. He preached peace to you who were far away, the Gentiles, and peace to you who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. This is a world that needs peace. We only need to look at the news to see this is a world that needs peace. And we need peace in our own hearts. If you're here today and you've not experienced this grace and this peace with God, it's available. It's freely available through Jesus. In a world and in lives Full of turmoil and conflict, Christ still brings peace. You can receive it today. You don't deserve it. You don't deserve it. But it's on offer. But some of us here may be thinking, do you know what? I am a Christian. I, I, I have followed, I am following Jesus and do you know what? I seem to have lost that peace. I seem to have lost that peace. Well, it's good to remember here that Peter is speaking to people and writing to people who've already received this grace. They've already received the grace of God. They've already been reconciled to God. They've already received peace with God. And now Peter is praying for more of it for them. He's saying more of it, God, more grace, more peace to you. How can that be? Surely we've received it. That's it. And Peter's saying, no, more and the answer to that comes in the final part of this verse. He says, Through grace and peace to you, through Oh, I'm in Ephesians, that's why I haven't looked reading I'm thinking. <laughs> it's very similar to start. Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. That's how we receive the peace, through the knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. And that doesn't mean head knowledge, it doesn't mean, oh I know about God, I know about Jesus. It means knowing God, a relationship with God, knowing him on an ongoing basis. And as we get to know and continue to know God, grow in our relationship with him on an ongoing basis, that grace and peace continue as present realities in our life. As we continue in this relationship, grace and peace will pour into us from God and they will flow out of us. We will have peace. We will respond to others with grace. If our relationship with God grows cold, we can easily lose that peace. We can easily end up being anxious and in turmoil. We can become more legalistic or religious in our outlook on life and we start comparing ourselves to others and and things like that judging other people you know our relationship with God isn't just about a decision that we make one day many of us will come to that point where we where one day we realize what Christ has done for us we realize we need to repent we realize we can't save ourselves And we come to God and we say, God, I'm trusting in you for salvation. There's that day, but that's not what it's all about. It's not about a decision that is made one day and we carry on our life as before. It's about a relationship with God which grows and develops through worship and through prayer and through getting to know God through the Bible and the scriptures and being encouraged in all this as we meet together as the church and other believers. And by hearing the word of God preached. We can easily get the wrong perspective on all of these things. We can easily start to think, oh, well, now I'm a Christian. I ought to pray. I ought to read the Bible. Oh, it's, there's a church meeting on tonight. I suppose I ought to go. I ought to do these things. We fail to realize that these are the gracious ways that God has provided us to grow in our relationship with him. God has equipped us with everything. It says in verse three we'll look at next time. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. He's given us the church. He's not left us alone. He's given us the scriptures where we can seek them and get to know God and understand God. He's given us the ability to come into His presence and worship Him. With joy, what a privilege. We can start to think that these are ways that we go, get to know about God and not get to know God. We can start to think that we read the Bible because that's a way that we can get to know information about God. We can get head knowledge. We do that with our kids sometimes. We teach them all these things. That, have you remembered it? Have you remembered that story? Have you remembered that verse? These can be good things to do. But the main aim is to teach our kids to know God and for ourselves ourselves. To, to, to read the, the word and to know him and to the preached word, preaching. It's about getting to know God. It's not about, it's not about coming and making notes, copious notes. So that we can remember exactly what the preacher said. Oh, do you remember what they said? Oh, I think I missed that bit. Let me just get that bit down, you know. At a core group in the middle of the week. Oh, we better make sure we've understood and remembered all that was said. It doesn't matter that we remember all that was said. You'll be relieved to know. It doesn't matter. The fact is, preaching brings us draws us into that relationship with God, that relationship with our Father. Preaching is is spiritual food. When when people preach to us, it's, it's feeding us. You probably don't remember what you ate a month ago last Sunday, this Sunday, a month ago today, you know, or whenever, 1st of August. Do you remember what food you had? Do you remember exactly what you ate? No. Does it matter? No, it doesn't matter. What matters is you were fed. You received food. We, we can People can get, the, we can get the wrong idea about this with, with kids being in the meeting as well. People say, well, surely they're not going to understand all that's said. Of course not. Probably very few people will understand all that is said. I don't understand most of what I'm talking about. <laughs> but it's food. They're being fed. They're not receiving the same meal as you are. You don't. You don't get a Sunday roast for your kids and say, "Here, you know, you like you know, little Samuel, Samuel, here you are. Sunday roast for you. Sunday, yeah. I took into that. He's not going to be able to eat that. Of course not. He's going to have some food. And we're feeding. Preaching is feeding. And, and we need to. We need to come and and see see it in that perspective and see that that's what. That's what under, reading scripture about, and that's what hearing preaching is about. It's about enjoying God. We can come, and if it's helpful to take notes, great. But actually, if it stops us just enjoying God's presence in the moment, it's better not to. Because we can come, and we can just enjoy it. You know, if we went to a restaurant, and we just spent the whole time looking at the menu, Oh, I'm going to have this food. Can you can actually, actually, can you tell the chef, can I have a list of ingredients of this food that I'm eating? And we started pouring over the ingredients of the food. We're not going to enjoy the meal that we've got. We want to enjoy the meal. We want to enjoy God. What God is giving us. So knowledge of God, the faith that we have, the precious faith brings us grace and brings us peace. So as we recognize just how precious our faith is, this faith that we have received, which is precious, we allow Jesus to become Lord of our lives. The last words here in verse 2, through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. We allow God, we allow Jesus to become Lord of our lives. Many people who would call themselves Christians are happy to see Jesus as their savior, even happy to see Jesus as their God, as Peter describes him in verse one. But many aren't happy to call him Lord. They don't want him to be Lord of their lives. They don't want him to guide their lives, to be in charge. They want to keep control. We all have a desire sometimes to keep control. Why should we hand over control of our life to someone else? Why should we make anyone else Lord of our lives? It's a good question. We don't just trust our lives to anyone. But once we realize how precious our faith is, once we realize what it is that Jesus has done, once we realize what it is that God has poured out to us, we'll happily allow Jesus to be Lord. We'll happily surrender control to him. And say, you have earned the right to be our Lord. Through being our Savior, he's earned the right to be our Lord. And because he's our Lord, he's our Savior. He's our Savior. One day he'll return. And he'll judge people. He will be the judge. People will see him as Lord. People will know he is Lord. Every knee will bow. Not necessarily in worship, but every knee will bow and say, Jesus, you are Lord. And, and then those of us who come to him and realize our unworthiness. On what basis can you stand before me? On the basis of you, Lord and Savior. That same Jesus who is Lord and judge is our Savior. Is the one who brings us in relationship with God because that faith that he's given us was given by God it was received through his own sacrificial death on the cross it unites us with other men and women of faith both historically and also today in the church and across the world and it brings us grace and peace in our day-to-day relationship with God Let's pray.